in unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Morning. I'm going to talk about Layla because I want to and because she was a person I loved and she just died. And I think she embodies, embodied uh, wholehearted practice. I, I appreciated what Liam said, talked about yesterday and the way he talked about it in the sense that you know, we just don't know about, I mean, you do, you could tell, tell us, but we don't know about the Buddhists floating around and the, the pebbles and the kanjis that I'm helping by sitting sasa and so on. I mean, I can sort of intuitively uh, sense the truth of that. And I guess scientists, right, they say a butterfly in Guatemala writes the better than I am or something. So, I like um, But there's not, and there's no point in kind of worrying about them. But I have plenty of, plenty to practice with right here. And I do sasa. And as Suzuki Roshi so brilliantly told Blanche, right? Don't you ever think you do Zazen? Zazen does Zazen. So, so, you just sit down and shut up. It takes care of itself. I think I said we did a memorial service for her last night. We dedicated evening service to Layla and I spoke of how kind she was, that she was, and how one, one example of her whole heartedness was that she, after many years of practice, she was receiving Dharma transmission from Martin. As I think Layla was ordained by Big Baker, and so it would have been Maybe in the early 80s. You know, she was Shusou when he crashed and burned. And you know, there's something called the Shusou log that not most Shusous write in, and sometimes they write a lot. Every lecture gets repeated and whatever. And sometimes they don't write at all, and sometimes they write just a bit. And Layla hardly wrote it all, and she said, which she wrote at the end of the practice period, she just said, there was so much, there was so much turmoil, and I, I didn't know what to say, so I didn't write anything. And I, I, I apologize to all the people, because like you're the, a conversation with somebody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but that's how it is.
And I don't know that that really when I read it, I I was able to read all of them when I was too old. That's not possible now, because I just barely read it. She just owned it and said it. Because some people just don't ever write, so so I'm just saying she'd been practicing for a long time, and yet she let go of everything. She had a job and. Uh, and she had a family. Her daughter was pretty well grown by then. And she just came down and she did the whole practice period. When I went down to do uh, transmission, I started here going around to various altars and, and doing vows. And uh, people came and uh, did the bell for me as I did some of those, some of those vows. To all the ancestors. I, I just remember Nan doing it. And then I spent about a week at Tassahara doing all the calligraphy on, on silk on the thing that I give you when you receive a rock suit when you get the precepts. It's a uh, list of names. It's like, I did that on silk. Now, you may have seen when, when in a movie when they did transmission, they put a Silk over the person's shoulder, and it was like it had these pebbles of a flower with a name on each one. Well, I did that too, but there are a lot more names now. Yeah, my pebbles were very, very improper. So that's what she that's what she was there to do, and she, she kind of disappeared into that for a while. But I think it was about it was about a week. But otherwise, she was the head practice. She was the top dog. She wanted to be there and wanted to, wanted to do that. And I, I think of that as wholeheartedness. She would just bop in for a week or 10 days and bop out again. And I was very lucky to have her. It felt like I had met her before, but I didn't know her until then. And I felt like I had a, a, a practice buddy the whole time. And she was very kind, and she was very uh, generous. But one of the things that happens when you sew is you learn to be the doshi, the, the officiant, for long service. Before that, after you're ordained, you get trained at some point to do short ones, like just the heart sutra, just the but not the not the long ones with multiple chances. So that's a, a marker, say, of, being, of having been she so or being she so. Well, uh, Norman was rarely in the zendo during morning service because he was out in the abbot's cabin doing doksan people. So the uh, next person in line was the tanto. And so ordinarily the tanto would lead the long service. And, you know, I don't, I've been there for lots of shoes. I was a kid. I can't remember. Um, and I don't think that they did what, what Layla did is she said, let's just alternate. We'll just take turns doing it. So I did it every other day. And I think that's unusual. I'm sure the shoes did it. 
and I don't think they did it every other day. And it was great training for me to do it a lot, because, you know, you do it, you do it the first time, and you do, oh, this is my experience, I do it the first time and I get it perfect, and then the next time, not so much. And because the concentration isn't the same, you know, and then you make mistakes and then you get better at it, and then sometimes you make mistakes anyway. Um, it's, you know, when, uh, ordinarily when the Buddhas and ancestors are chanted, and they do the long list of the ancestors, the women's list is the same as what we do. Anyway, you have to, you, you stand, and then, but you bow, and you bow uh, at the beginning, through all the Buddhas, and I always stay down until Ananda, because Ananda was the one that convinced Buddha to ordain women. Okay, so then you get up, and then you bow at, I think the next one is Vasubandhu, and then Nagarjuna, and then, I don't I maybe you could remember, but at any rate, you have to, you have to remember when to bow, and you have to try to get down there, before the name gets said, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. So it was really, really um, helpful and generous of her to include me so that I could get that into my bones. And I do still, I probably remember them all, but I'm not gonna bore you with it, but uh, it, it was deeply in my bones. And then of course I did it, I don't know how many times, because also at City Center, my green coach. In that, that kindness, she was also, she was very warm and she was funny and playful. And I mean, I, sometimes I felt like we were sort of co-conspirators. And it, not, not that we did anything horrendous or even that interesting, but uh, one thing, Norman was working on a book at the time and he wasn't that available for like meetings or something. He didn't go to staff meetings. You didn't see him. You still goes to staff meetings, but you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> By the way, that was great practice for me, <laughs> having been on the senior staff at Tassahara before and so on. It was, uh, it was great practice for me. But anyway, we kind of conspired to find a way to um, meet with Norman Moore. She thinks, she says, I think it happened, I think, we made it happen. I, I remember talking with her about it. She, she wrote me uh, a letter at the end of the practice period sort of summarizing some of the high points. It was very sweet. And what we did was we said, let's, when, at, the, at the end of morning, at the end of breakfast, then the, the, um, the abbot leaves and uh, the tanto leaves and the shiso leaves and the jishas, I guess just the main jisha leaves with Abbott. Anyway, but we leave first, and then uh, then uh, the rest of the people leave. And so then you leave, and then you walk you walk down the stairs. Uh, has everybody been there? No, mm -hmm. haven't been there. But there are a lot of stone stairs, and they're not like, they're not even. They're railings. <laughs> Anyhow, um, we walk down those stairs and then walk back along beside the, below the length of the Zen and across the bridge. And uh, usually you would bow out together, uh, just tucked way back a little bit towards the abbot's cabin. 
But what we did was we would bow out with the, you know, so that the Jisha could leave. But then we would go into his cabin and just sort of check in every morning, which was, it was a nice contact and also a nice, you know, if there were some, some uh, student that we were seeing, somebody was seeing that they had some question about or difficulty, or that somebody knew that somebody, one of the students was having a hard time, whatever, you know, just, I don't know, the news of the day. But it was a really nice meeting and it felt to me like we, we both, we shared the same concern that we wanted a little more attention, guidance, contact with him, and this was a way to make it happen. So we made it happen. And so I'm going to show you some pictures. I think it's obvious who she is. It's Norman Blanche, me, and Layla. And I, I put them, I, I don't know what order they were taken, but they were all taken. We're sitting on a bench in the uh, garden. We're opposite about the office. And as you look at this picture, the Zendo would be up and to your right. And uh, it's sort of somebody, somebody sat us there and took this, these portraits, but they're, they're, uh, it's, it's interesting to watch it. Norman, a lot of, he looks like the proud papa, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. So anyway, Layla is on the left. She was open-hearted and I think she saw people clearly, but she would talk, we would talk some about just one of the two of us. I used to go visit her on days off often. Um, I, I, uh, I invited myself to have lunch with Norman, which I did do, and uh, you had a bad lunch, so you just, you didn't. but I would go visit her before that. And we would talk about the students that we had some difficulty with or concern about or um, whatever. And, and I just, her, her view and her intentionality in working with people was a great lesson to me. And I think she really did see people. At the same time, she was very, she was very shy. She didn't like to give Dharma talks. I could never get her to come here. And, and um, you know, we were, we were close there and we were close for a while afterwards. She lived in, uh, I know, it's like either Corte Madeira or Larkspur, whichever, you know, um, you know, up back in those hills always. One of those streets that goes around a red but we just sort of lost contact because she, she was the kind of person that tended not to call you and I didn't call her that much. You know, I did for a while and then I didn't. And it was partly, I mean, I wasn't mad that she didn't give talks here, but it just lessened our occasion for contact. She had a sitting group in uh, Corte Madeira so I knew that. I mean, she said that. We talked about that early on in Tassahara. And she gave really good talks. You know, very, very gentle. I just want to say, when I say she's mischievous, you look at the pictures, yeah. they're in, in order, so that um, when you get to the last one, you can, you can really see it. But she gave, as I said, she gave great talks. They were intimate 
and sweet, and they contained stories, many stories. And she said to me, one of the things that I remember that she taught me was that a good Dharma talk should have lots of stories. And uh, I think that's true. Yeah, there is, but uh, it would be easier at the end of the talk, I think. Just hold them up to the camera so we can see them. Not to his, not to his face, but to the camera. Just like if I look at the camera, Liam experiences that as me looking right at him, but when I, I'm not. I can see him, but I'm not looking right at him. And now I'm looking right at him, and it looks like I'm looking at him. So, oh well. Anyway, her talks were wonderful. They were wonderful. They're very sweet. Are the what were we studying? <laughs> I think we were studying koans from the Book of Serenity or something. You know, and he would he would just I don't know if he's going in order or what. I don't know. My koan for that practice period was um, I don't remember the number, but anyway, it's about Shui Feng and the. The turtle-nosed snake. There's a turtle-nosed snake on South Mountain. All you monks should take a good look at it. That's a, that's a short version. The other thing is that, uh, or another thing is that, you know, I cracked a bone in my ankle on February 14th, 1998. I will remember because it was a day off. It was a four day, four or nine days, or day off, days off. And it was a four day, and it had been raining a lot. And uh, I was so happy that it was clear. And so I'm ringing the wake up bell, and I, I probably did look up some. And you know, maybe that's part of what happened. I don't know. Anyway, I look at it. It was just all stars. It was so thrilling that it was going to be sunny. Turned out not to be so sunny, but anyway. Then at that time it was sunny at four o'clock in the morning. And and uh, and I turned my ankle and I heard it crack. I didn't know at the time that you can hear it when you break a bone. <laughs> now I know what that was. <laughs> I said I thought it was a sprain, but at any rate, so eventually, I worked my way back to being able to, um, you know, get to get to the zendo first on crutches. Um, I have some pictures of me with the crutches, and I think she took them because she references it in her note to me. I just, but I just have the pictures of me uh, in the Abbot's garden with my crutches and my plaid shirt and my hood up. So I, I graduated from crutches. Um, to a um, boot and then to ankle braces. I thought the whole time, well, not when I was on crutches, but um, the rest of it, you know, as I said, we would, you know, that we would leave in procession, I guess, right after Norman. But when we'd get to those stairs, she would hold my hand. So I had one hand on the railing and one hand that she was taking, so I could be super careful and balanced going down. And I never asked her to do it. She just did it, and it was so sweet. And it was, it was, you know, she, her hand was up. It just felt like 
she was like leading me to the dance or something. You know? <laughs> and uh, I think I mentioned it to her at some point later, and she didn't even remember because she just was she just was doing it. You know, so it was, it was a spontaneous thing. That's just what you do when your friend is gifted. And so she didn't, she hadn't thought of it as something special. And I did, and still do. And, and I'm not hurt by that, because she did it. She used to, uh, she would have, when I would visit her, she would be having her lunch, because she saw people after that, I think, or she spent time with her. The, the Jisha is the attendant, to, the ceremonial attendant to an abbot, and Chico is the ceremonial attendant to other people. So she had a Chico. I had a patient. At any rate, she spent some time with something. And she had some sort of appointment after. So I would be with her when she was having lunch, and uh, she used to, she had a woodburning stove in her. Habit. She was in one of the big round yurts down by the. Uh, she would. This was. It started in January. This was the winter practice period. And it goes from winter, January 8th, say, something like that, to the beginning of April. So by the time it ends, you're full on in spring. It was, it was cold in the morning, especially. And so she would make herself grilled cheese sandwiches. She covered her, her, her uh, stove going on the hot. The top was hot. So, uh, so she'd be, she'd have it. You could go and make yourself a bad lunch. So I guess she'd make herself a, be a toasted cheese sandwich. She wasn't, wasn't frying it, but she'd just be turning it so it didn't burn. And that picture, that last picture, when she's. I mean, I, she's doing this V sign in front of me, at least, at least she wasn't. But she might as well have been doing it over my head. I don't think it was, <laughs> I don't think it was a, uh, whatever it means now, it has a whole other meaning now. And the way I have my arm around her in the picture before, that's how it felt. She was, and she died of cancer, I guess now it's a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure. Chris Fortin told me, you may remember, Chris came and talked about the Dharma um, group that she, I don't know what they called it now, it's a lady, anti-racist workshop. <laughs> it, actually, she's a wonderful teacher. She also does a, Chris does a Jesus ceremony. And I heard about it from Chris. And, uh, had it for a while and then she tried chemo and decided it wasn't worth it and uh, stopped and then was in hospice. And I, I wrote to Norman about it because I know that he loved her and uh, he, uh, he said you know, she'd known for quite a while so he, he got to spend time with her and sit and talk and talk about what she wanted to happen afterwards and so on. So uh, that was nice. I'm thinking about, I haven't started it, but doing a 49-day practice regarding her because I didn't know, I didn't know she was sick, I didn't know she was dying, and I knew 
everything. This isn't something I'm like, I'm actually guilty about because she didn't interest in it, but I neglected that relationship. And I'm sorry I didn't. So my experience is that she died suddenly without my having a chance to say goodbye. She really is a, was a loving and unlovable person. She also wholeheartedly entered into a ceremony that uh, I needed. Uh, there was something that started in the kitchen where we did a memorial ceremony for everything that we had some mold and killed. Little birds that got caught in nets, worms that got caught plows, plow workers who died, whatever, we, we, the kitchen crew kind of, we brainstormed everything, they got like made little carts, and then we each took a few of them, and then we did a regular memorial service for the special echo, and but everybody took turns from the neighbors. And uh, so when I was just so, I thought that would be good to do it out of the compost, because we probably killed some worms and whatever. So we had planned that, and then, well, I wasn't really very capable. I, I couldn't, you know, once I hurt myself, I could no longer turn compost. You have to get that this compost is a big, huge rectangle with three rows of bins, two, two bins each. So you dump into this bin. Oh, three bits, three bits each. You dump it to this bin. One, two, three, I guess. And then this one, two, three. One, two, three. And then um, you, when, when you finish that one, the third of the third row, you turn the first one into uh, the second, and the first row you turn into the second bin, and so on. And so you're just always going along and turning it. And you know, first it doesn't smell that bad, and then by the second one, it does. And then third one, it, by the time it comes out, it, it's wonderful, sweet, but I can't remember if it still smells. But anyway, it's, it, then you have to get, you have to climb into it with a, like a pitchfork. There was no way that I could do that. Because um, I couldn't push, I couldn't push off with my foot or anything. hard for me to do it. And so she came and led it, and so it was she and the Benji and I. And by then, of course, it was spring. And it was, it was so wonderful and sweet. And what I'm thinking of, particularly in terms of Layla, was that she, she completely entered into it. And she loved it. And she uh, took it seriously. And she referred to it as a um, ecstatic, I think, which is how it felt, you know, it was surrounded by the green and in the sun. <laughs> you know, a month or so later, you wouldn't be so happy to be in the sun, the Tassar in the mid-afternoon, but right then it was just delicious. So I miss her, and it's time to stop, it's past time to stop. Um, but just quickly, do you have any questions or anything? Well, the 49 days, what, what does that involve for you? Just oh, I talked about this. I guess you weren't here. Um, it's, a, it's a ceremony that you can do if somebody that you 
uh, know and love has died suddenly without your having a chance to say goodbye. And you put their picture on your altar and you talk to them every day. And then on the 49th day, you do some kind of ceremony and you take their picture off your altar. Okay, thank you. So, um, you know, sometimes somebody, I had a friend who was in Europe. A friend of my parents who became my friend and she died and I had no she was I she was sick and not that sick. Like Edo, I just found out. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Why don't you show this one? Um yes, but why don't you tell them just as when when the lecture's done? Because but you could stand up and do it and pretend you're doing it again. These are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.